Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm really excited to welcome back Lindy Walker today. So you may remember I had a conversation with Lindy earlier this summer. We talked about co-writing. She's doing a new series with author Bruce Robert Coffin. It's going to be really fun. It's out next April, so definitely check that out. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go listen to it after you listen to this one. Um, but we're talking about a totally different subject today. We're talking about journalism in books. And Lindy's first series is all about journalism. So her Nichelle Clark crime thrillers feature a journalist, which I love so much because we both were journalists, Lindy and I, before we started writing books. Um, and I've always written journalists into my stories. I just can't help myself. I feel like every town needs a newspaper and newspaper reporters are always up in everyone's business. And especially when there's a murder, it just makes sense for them to be there. But I love this topic because it's so much more than just about writing about journalism. It's just about how journalism itself is such a, it was such a life-changing job for me. It was way more than just a job. I mean, it was always kind of a calling and I think all journalists agree that that's the case. And even now I feel like I will always call myself a journalist, but I learned so many skills, not just about reporting and writing, but life skills, like how to talk to people, how to look at people differently, how to create real stories about real things that people care about. And just everything I learned there continues to serve me all these years later. So this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. We had a really fun conversation about her series, what makes Nichelle Clark tick. And honestly, if you haven't read this series, you need to go get it like now. It's really great. So this is my conversation with Lindy. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Lindy, welcome back to the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me again. It's fun to be here. Yeah. So last time we talked about your co-writing adventure, um, but today I want to go back to like our roots and, you know, the way we first met with both of our first series. And I want to talk about journalism in mysteries because we both, um, we both were journalists. We both have journalists in our books and I just, I love the subject and I can't stop putting journalists in my books. (laughs) The forms have changed yeah. over the years as journalism has changed, but I think it's just a great way to advance stories and all of that. So, um, so yeah. So tell us about your Nichelle series. Uh, she's your she's your journalist character, and she's so fun. Um, and I know Aww. we talked about this before, but um, Li- uh, Lindy and I met both as Agatha Award nominees. Um, her with her Nichelle series and me with my Positively Organic series. So I got to know Nichelle really early on and she's been like my favorite ever since. So tell us about her. (laughs) I love that. She's great. Nichelle is, people ask me, like like I get from readers a lot and they want to know if Nichelle is me. Um, And I guess, you know, when you write a character who's a young woman and that's what you did for a living, that's a natural curiosity. And I mean, she has a lot of me in her, but she's so much better in so many ways, like she always knows exactly what to say when somebody says something rude, you know, those scenes when she's arguing with Shelby or Spencer, somebody that they're, they're always really fun for me to write. Cause I have a minute to sit there and come up with that snappy comeback for her that I never have at the ready when <laughs> I'm, when people are being hateful. So um, I'm the same so way. I always fun. think of it like the next day. I'm like, Oh, I should have said this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would have been a perfect reply to this. So so she benefits from uh, from the hindsight there, but you know she's loyal. She's a good friend. She's fun. She is, of course, endlessly curious about everything. But I think being a journalist for Nichelle, above everything else, is this sort of relentless pursuit of the truth, um, which you know comes from me and my journalism days to an extent. I didn't. I wasn't ever happy, sort of taking the company line from the city or from the police department on something. If something didn't feel right, I would just keep asking questions. And there were some people who didn't like that and some people who respected it a lot. And you kind of learn what kind of folks it is that you're dealing with um, in your day-to-day through that. So Michelle definitely gets that part of her personality for me. Like she's, and she's going to go put herself in harm's way and, and chase down the truth at all costs and, you know, find the answer. And she does it all in these really fabulous shoes that I can't wear, but she can run in them. So (laughs) I did always love her shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fun. That was, and they were there from that very first scene. I, she popped into my head. She was stuck in a car trunk down in Chaco bottom. She was trying to figure out how she was going to get away when the guy opened the trunk, cause the little, uh, you know, that little wire lever thing that you can pull in the truck, of course had been cut before she was put in there. Um, and, and it was the shoes, right? She had her feet up so that she could kick the, so they, they were a weapon because what reporter is going to be running around with a gun. Um, she's not a police officer, but she had these sharp heels on her <laughs> shoes that she could use. So that, that's sort of how they came to be. They've always been part of her from the very first time she popped in my head. Um, but she is a lot of fun to write. I think Michelle is somebody I would very much like to have for friends yeah. in real life. Like she would Me be too. fun to, <laughs> to hang out with. Thanks. So um, I am consistently blown away by the number of readers who have loved that series for so many years. And 
so thankful that people have been so patient with getting new books in it because I get requests almost every day. I get an email or a message from somebody asking when there's going to be a new Nichelle book. And I promise that the series is not done. I have known the last line since I wrote Buried Leads and it's not there yet. Um, there will be at least one more, maybe two more books to get it to where it needs to be to end it the way that I've always wanted to. Um, I just need to have time to write it. And that I, I want to have time to write myself. Like those characters are, are very special to me and have been a big part of my life. And, uh, so hopefully in 2024, my calendar will clear enough for me to have time to work on that book and we'll have more details about it later. But I hear, I hear people asking, I don't want people to think that I'm not like reading the comments and the messages. And I try very hard to reply to all of them personally, but I really appreciate everybody who loves them so much and everybody being so patient. Well, I'm excited there's going to be more because I was going to ask you too. So <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you, they're getting there. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So you and Michelle had similar beats though, right? You were a crime and courts reporter as well. So tell us about your career. So that sort of, um, you know, she grew out of, I guess, my own experience. People say when you start writing fiction, you write what you know. Um, But I worked in Dallas-Fort Worth for almost 10 years before uh, I became a mom. And I left the newsroom when my oldest daughter was born. Um, And I covered, I mean, you know, starting in a small paper, I covered everything from ribbon cuttings at the Economic Development Corporation to city council meetings where the mayor came into the council meeting to preside over it in like starch jeans and a plaid shirt and suspenders (laughs) and, um, (laughs) and to capital murder and high level police corruption. Um, I think probably the last big story that I covered before my daughter was born was the, was the thing that sort of cemented this idea that I was going to leave. Like my editor at the time, just kind of shook his head. I told him I was quitting and he said, you'll be back. You love it too much. You're not going anywhere. Um, but there was this case that I was working and I worked it for a total of about 18 months from the initial police report all the way through, uh, the first trial. And it was capital murder case. And the victim was a 16 month old little girl. And the first trial, I was about eight months pregnant with my daughter and sitting in the courtroom, looking at the blowups of the autopsy photos for like, it took everything in me not to jump over the rail at that guy. Every time he looked up because I knew he did it. They knew he did it. His lawyers knew he did it. Everybody in the courtroom knew he did it. And the reaction that I had to that kind of scared me. And I went back to the office and I told James, like, I can't, I've, I've lost my objectivity here. I know this guy is guilty and I can't do this job anymore, you know? So that was sort of a, an awakening type of moment that I was, I was done with that part of my career. But, and he did actually that, uh, that case went to trial again the following summer because they had a hung jury on that first one. And, uh, that there was a conviction, um, after the second trial, but it was just a, you know, a situation where the detectives who worked that case trusted me. There was a lot of even national media attention uh, given to it because of who the suspect was. And um, the, you know, the story changed four times 
in the first two days. And it was just, there were, there were a lot of things that were big alarm bells. So, um, I was thankful to see that the person who took over my job after me covered the second trial the following summer. Um, but yeah, it was a rough one to, to go out on. Um, there were, you know, when you cover that beat, you see so many things that are just heartbreaking. Like it's the worst of what humanity can do to each other. What, I mean, I think a lot of that kind of stuff sort of goes into my Faith McClellan books. Like Faith sees all of the worst of what people are capable of doing to each other. Um, but also of accidents that can happen. I mean, when you cover the police department and the court system increasingly, especially as a reporter in America, you're covering the fire department and, you know, the kitchen sink and whatever else they can throw at you. Um, we were here in Richmond the other day. I, somebody told me a couple of years ago that uh, our daily paper had gotten rid of their cops beat reporter. Oh, wow. The position had been eliminated and the person had been laid off. And I thought state capital and we have no yeah. police beat at the paper. Okay. Um, and then my husband and I were downtown last weekend, uh, scouting hotels for an event that his company is doing. And one of the hotels that we were at, um, the events managers told us that they didn't have meeting space in the hotel, but that's okay because the hotel company owns the times dispatch building which is two doors down. And I was like, <laughs> of course they do. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it was hard, like picking up more stuff and seeing more stuff. And I think going from that into being a parent, you know, my kids have fussed at me for hovering or for not letting them do stuff that their friends are allowed to do over the years. And I'm like, sorry, I wrote a story once about a kid who died doing that. So no, yeah. you don't, you don't get to go. Um, <laughs> I mean, it definitely makes you see the world differently, yeah, I think. For sure. So when you're when you're giving Nichelle situations to, you know, crimes that she's getting involved in and investigating, do you feel like you have a little more? Well, obviously you do because it's your world, but do you do you give her more freedom than you feel like you had as a reporter, or are you kind of sticking to what she might be expected to do in real life? I mean, I think there's that that relationship that the reporter can have both with the police department and with her editor, right? Like Michelle keeps the paper in the black and that doesn't happen at very many American newspapers anymore, but her big front page stories, they sell ads and they sell papers and they keep them making money. Um, so I feel like she does get a little more freedom than maybe your average journalist at a, at a paper would get, but I sort of had that when I was working, cause my boss knew that if I wasn't in the office, I was out chasing a story and my police department sources got, you know, I mean, it, it takes years to build a strong relationship with a police officer where a detective will just trust you and hand you a file yeah. on an open case. But, but they will, if you work hard enough and prove yourself. And even, I mean, I had a police chief tell me once that, you know, not everything that I printed in the paper about the police department made them look good, but he knew that it was all true. And that was really all that he cared about. Hmm. You know, he, he said, you know, your, your thing is finding the truth. And if we end up not looking great at the end of the story, then I have to look inward on that because I can't blame you for if what you printed is right. Yeah. So, 
Yep. Well, Nichelle has, uh, she definitely seems to have a lot of liberties. So I think <laughs> I like, I love following her around because I could, I just couldn't see, you know, at my old newspaper, us ever getting away with any of the stuff she gets away with. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I had a pretty, you know, I had a pretty long lean, uh, my, my last job, I could just say, I have something that I'm going to work on, or I'm going to be out doing interviews all day. And he yeah. knew, yeah. I mean, my job, that job was my whole life. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I ran around chasing stories and talking to people. And, and when we had big stuff come in that wasn't on my beat, um, when the, uh, the space shuttle, the Columbia, when it um, burned up on reentry mm-hmm. in the sky over North Texas, like I didn't cover science or anything really that had anything to do with that. And somehow that story got taken away from the reporter who did cover that beat and handed to me. Um, and when I said like, this is not my thing, why don't you send her? He said, cause I want to make sure that it's done right because it's a big deal and it's going to leave the front page tomorrow. So you go talk to these people. Yeah. So, yeah. So did any of your real life experiences make it into any of the books? Yes. Um, <laughs> but generally they are like, I pull the, the really like crazy news of the weird stories mm-hmm. that I caught when I was working and put them in as like little things that come up that she's doing along the way. So like in the first book, she has a police report come in and she has to go out and talk to somebody because a, a guy who owns a junkyard has shown up for work in the morning and there's a coffin, like a coffin, like that you would bury someone in, like blocking the driveway that somebody has dumped hmm. in front of the junkyard. And Michelle goes out to talk to him and it's the exact conversation that I had with that guy when this happened. <laughs> the little <laughs> town that I was working in, I got there and I said, did you open it? What's in it? He said, I'm not opening it. My tax dollars pay the police to open it. They can open it when they get here. And it turned out it was full of scrap metal. Hmm. Somebody, I, why anybody would have such a thing sitting around? <laughs> and I mean, I have no idea. It, it was remained an unsolved mystery. They never did figure out who left it there, but it was full scrap metal and it went on into the junkyard after the PD got there. But that was an interesting call to go see. And, um, you know, there's a subplot in the third book about a strip club in the small town that Nichelle is uh, working on the story in that, that actually the whole scene where she pulls off to the side of the road and the ladies from the church are taking pictures of people's license plates and, and sending the photos to the, the gentleman's wives uh, that all actually happened. My photographer and I were on our way to cover something else. She noticed that there seemed to be an altercation going on in this parking lot at this strip bar in the middle of the day we decided that looked like it was interesting. We pulled over to find out what was going on. Um, (laughs) These cowboys were really, really not happy that these church ladies who had gloves and hats and the whole nine in the Texas sun were, and, but these women, they thought they were on a mission from God and they were out there taking pictures of these guys' license plates. And then using um, in Texas, at least back then you could buy a subscription to anybody could buy a subscription to the DPS database. I had one cause I was a reporter. You could look up a uh, license plate, so you go into car and then they were just taking it a step further and going to the County records and cross-referencing it with the marriage license records oh, and sending a letter with a photo to the wife saying, do you know where your husband was at noon on Monday, the 24th? And oh boy. yeah, it was, a, it was a whole, well, it was very interesting. 
Um, so that for the most part, it's the funnier subplots in the Nichelle books that come from my actual reporting. The only one where the main story came from something that I actually covered was uh, devil in the deadline. That's the fourth book. And she's, um, working her way into a televangelist compound kind of undercover. And that one is very loosely based on a situation that I actually did cover a long time ago. But mm. other than that, it's, it's the funny little asides that you find. If there's, if there's something in there, that's a weird little thing that comes up in her police reports that makes you laugh. That's probably something that I actually did see happen. Yeah. The coffin thing would have been cool to run into, I think. But then again, I'm, I'm a little weird. So <laughs> it was very interesting. Like trying, I mean, and this was like early 2000s. Like where, yeah. I mean, you people didn't really order stuff on the internet back then. Where did somebody get that? I still wonder where it came from. And where the body that probably was in it ended up. <laughs> yeah, like, what? And there's your next plot. <laughs> um, how did all this happen? Yep. <laughs> what about the cops that you worked with? Did you did you base any of them on, or did your characters were your characters based on any of them? Um. So Aaron Wyatt is sort of a, a Franken cop creation of all of the best public information officers that I ever dealt with, and I was fortunate to have a few that were that were really great folks. Um, one of them, even when his boss really didn't like me, like really didn't like me, threatened to put me in jail once, oh, didn't geez. like me. Uh, and, um, so, um, I think we need to hear more about that story too. <laughs> Aaron is, he is a lot of fun to write because I was fortunate to work with some really great officers that I, um, you know, I trusted them to tell me the truth. They trusted me to print the truth, print what they said. Um, and, and know that what came out in the paper wasn't going to be, you know, it was balanced on both sides, but it wasn't going to be a hack job on anybody. It was just, this is, here's the actual truth about what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had, when I was very young, uh, my very first reporting job, I sort of, picked up a phone message that nobody really thought was going to be anything. And so they gave it to the new girl and started following this story that, that unraveled into the biggest crime story in the city um, over the course of the summer. And there was some pretty high level police corruption involved in that one that went all the way up to the chief. Hmm. And uh, he really, really didn't like me um, and my habit of, putting what was true in the newspaper because he had a lot of friends who worked at some of the other papers in the area in positions of influence. And, uh, I was irritating to him and, uh, it's, it's a little absurd in that I was still in college at the time. Um, it was my first real reporting job in a professional paper that I got paid for. Um, but I was trying to finish up my degree and still taking a couple of classes here and there. And I had this one professor who was giving a test and would not let me not come and take the test in person, no matter what I offered to do. I had worked during the day. There was an important hearing going on. That was a big part of the kit, this huge story that I had been covering. And so I went for the morning, but I had to leave at lunch and drive to campus and take my test. 
And uh, when I left, the the two other, the TV reporter and the other newspaper reporter who were there, they left too because they had other stuff that they had to go cover that afternoon. And so I left my tape recorder with one of the paralegals who was there and asked her just turn it on when they come back in, let it run. Will you flip the tape over if it, they talk so long that it clicks off? Um, it was a public meeting. There was, you know, I had been sitting there running a tape recorder all morning. Well, everybody came back in and the chief looked around and there were no journalists left in the room. And he was kind of behaving a little bit like a schoolyard bully during the afternoon questioning, even went so far as to uh, ask one of the attorneys who was questioning him if he wanted to step outside. Jeez. (laughs) Um, So I went to the law office in the morning to pick up my tape recorder and got this little smirk from the paralegal, like, oh, you just wait. And I said, what happened? And she said, you just listen for yourself. Go play the tape. (laughs) So I went back to my office and played it. And naturally I heard that and went, okay. So I called the police department and uh, the public information officer was also the chief's personal assistant. He um, had been unceremoniously moved to that position from his uh, post as a homicide detective and was not terribly thrilled with the change. Um, But he and I got along really fairly well given the circumstances. And, uh, it was, it was kind of funny that morning because we had a routine wherein I would call him and say, does he have any comment on this? And he would say no. And that, but I have to call and ask because that's what they're paying me to do. And so I knew he was going to say no, but I called that morning and I said, I'd like to know if the chief has any comment on uh, some of these remarks that he made in the afternoon session from yesterday's hearing. And he laughed and said, he's not going to talk to you. He doesn't like you. No comment. And I said, but they pay me to call and ask. And he said, hold on. So he disappeared for a minute. And when he came back on the phone, he said, what kind of comments are you talking about? And I said, why? And he said, because he said, if you can be here in 20 minutes, he'll talk to you. Hmm. So 19-year-old me gets in the car, goes downtown. (laughs) Um, And up to the office where he's got his uniform on, complete with his gun belt, uh, and asked me to play the part of the tape that I was asking about, and I did. And he told me he wanted me to give him my tape recorder. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, I can arrest you for violating sections, I think it was 1621, for many, many, many years, I knew exactly what section it was that he said, <laughs> um, of the Texas Penal Code. And that tape recorder can disappear out of my evidence room. And wow. I still don't know where I actually got the guts to stand up and leave that room. I stood up, I picked up the tape recorder. I said, I don't know what that section of the penal code says, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't say I can't have a tape recorder in a public meeting. So if this is what you call me down here for, we're done. I'm going back to my office. And I had to have been about as white as a piece of paper walking out because my friend whose desk was right outside his office door, I had his feet up on the desk and was reading the paper and I walked out and he pulled the paper down and his eyes got really big and he said, are you okay? <laughs> and I shook my head and went to the elevator and I was convinced I was going to get to the lobby and there were going to be like six cops with their guns drawn. Nobody was down there. I walked out, went back to my office, 
uh, called an attorney and asked for a copy of that section of the penal code. And when it came across the fax machine, because yes, that's how old I am. <laughs> um, I, I read it and it's the wiretap law. Hmm. The one he was citing said that at least one party had to be, uh, if you were recording a telephone conversation, it is very specific to a telephone conversation. Um, at least one party has to be aware that the phone conversation is being recorded. So then I called the lawyer who had been doing the questioning the day before, and I laid out the situation. And I said, this section of the penal code, and I asked him for a comment on it. And it was one of the best quotes that I ever got in my entire career. He said, I don't think that the chief should be getting into such complicated areas of the penal code when yesterday he couldn't tell me on the witness stand what a theft was. (laughs) (laughs) And and all these years later, I don't remember the number anymore, but I do still remember that quote. Um, So... It was, it was an interesting experience and, um, you know, one that informed a lot of my interactions with police officers later, because I didn't ever, I wasn't ever there. I knew it wasn't my job to make the police department happy with me. That's not what I was getting paid for. It was my job to make sure that the readers knew the truth about what was happening with crime in their city. Um, but I also didn't ever take it as a personal mission to like, I don't know how I would do in journalism. Now I look at the way the news cycle has shortened and how everybody wants to be first to have something on Twitter and first to put something on the web. And I am just old enough and worked in it just long ago enough that the internet was just kind of taking off where newspapers were concerned. We were just starting Mm -hmm. to put our stories online Um, nobody was posting things on social media. And I think, you know, that extra five hours that we had to get it right before it went live to double check those sources, to make another phone call, because there are some things about open police investigations that people don't need to know while the investigation is going on because it protects public safety for that information to be kept private. And I was always very careful to judge what I was printing and when I was printing it kind of as I, and, and this is a running thread in the Nichelle books because she thinks about this and talks about this because it's always murder investigations that she's working. You know, do people need to know this maybe, but do they need to know it right now or can it wait until after this is all resolved? Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. I left the, around the same time. I remember social was just starting to be a thing when I bailed out and I kind of left because I needed to actually make enough money to live on. And that was just becoming harder and harder to yes. do. <laughs> um, that is true too. Cause it I, wasn't a hard decision to stay home with my baby. Cause what are we really losing? Right. For all these <laughs> and they used to tell me, Oh, you're like the top paid reporter here. And I'm thinking I can't buy groceries, <laughs> but right. that all aside, um, I also didn't love the fact that, you know, it was also at that point where they were really starting to, ask a lot of the reporters, like, I mean, like I consider myself a words person, right? I'm not necessarily the person you want thinking about what's the best shot to go along with this story or how am I going to take video? I remember they sent me out with a camera and a video camera for a story. <laughs> and I was like, what do you want me to do with this? I'm writing a story. I've got a notebook. That's all I need. Yeah, <laughs> no, was- I would have had no... <laughs> I could take pictures when, when I was called on to do so, but a video camera. Yeah. No, that was when I was like, yeah, I think I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, like the whole, uh, getting things online fast. And so I, so in my books, um, my journalist characters have always been secondary, but there's a book I'm working Mm -hmm. on now where I started it so long ago. She was a newspaper reporter, but now she's evolved to a podcaster because it's been that long. And I feel like that's just a different way of getting, you know, those journalism, uh, truths out there. And it's, it's almost like you can do it on your own. I mean, it has to be, I guess if it's a podcast that's going to be, um, like in real time podcast, you have to be doing it in real time, but it also gives you a little bit more leeway as far as, you know, getting the story out there on your own terms and, and figuring out how you're going to tell it. Um, so what do you think of podcasting as a way to do journalism today? I think it's really interesting. And I, I freely admit that I don't know a whole lot about it, but I have seen it that what I've learned has kind of been through fiction. I've seen a couple of movies and read a couple of books where it's the podcaster as the main character, but the the podcaster is acting as an investigative journalist going, you know, and doing a lot of the same stuff Michelle would do. So I think it's fascinating and it's a really interesting thing. And I want you to finish this book so I can, uh, I I want to finish it too. I'm Um, sick of thinking about it. (laughs) I've become like really interested the last couple of years in the way the industry is evolving because my, uh, my middle child, my son, um, who was a year old when I wrote the first Michelle book is now in high school, which is still hard for me mm-hmm. to believe he's taller than me. He's, you know, um, but he is at our, uh, our school system here has specialty centers where kids can apply to, for a spot to get in and pick and choose different areas that they're interested in studying. And there are, you know, medical ones. My oldest daughter went to the engineering academy, um, my son is at the mass communications high school because he is the one of the three of them who is just like mom. <laughs> and he and I have had a lot of conversations about the fact that the industry is evolving, that people are getting laid off, that things are closing down, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I've been doing a lot more reading and paying a lot more attention to how it's evolving and where there are new entry points for young people who really want to go into journalism. Um, he has a particular interest in sports journalism. Um, and he's also an athlete. So I think, uh, he's a really talented writer and, and he would bring a lot to the table, but you know, I look at the industry and the way it's evolved since I left and wonder yeah. where there's going to be space. Yeah. Um, so I think podcasting, probably is even a good avenue, like something for him to practice at, look at, get into just to have another skill to put on his resume, because I think the industry is evolving that way. Yeah. And the cool thing about podcasts, I think is if, you know, it's, it's not as much of, you know, so with the, if you're a TV reporter, you know, there's the competition between which channel you're watching, right. And, you know, everybody's going to get the viewership, but podcasts, like people who like true crime podcasts, they're going to devour all the true crime podcasts they can find. So it's almost like inevitable that at some point someone's going to find your podcast, right? So it's a little bit different in that sense too. So even if it is something that you're doing in real time and it's not found until a year later or whatever, it's still getting eyes on it or ears on it. Um, And a lot of these unsolved crimes have come back up and, you know, people have, there's actually been progress made on them, you know, so many years later because of podcasts, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think, um, yeah, I think that um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark is probably one of my favorite nonfiction books that I've read in the last five years. And that was, you know, she she just kept digging because she was fascinated by the case until they actually caught the guy. He had gotten away with 
you know, how many attacks back in the seventies? I mean, I think that's a, that's a fascinating example and, and probably maybe the best known one of, of something new coming up in a cold case because of that. But, um, yeah, just having people who are interested doing the legwork, talking to people, jogging memories, finding things that nobody put together way back when, because they didn't have the technology that we have now. Yeah. You know, and also the time, um, right. Cause I think some of it too, is like, you've, you're under so much pressure to get the story out there, get the story out there. And like some of, some of these podcasts, they, you know, there are some that do like the shorter overviews, but then there are some that really do the deep dive into the whole thing. Yeah. And those are fascinating to me. Like, I feel like too, with the police department, I mean, at some point these guys have to just dump this in cold case and go on to the next thing because there's always more crime and there's, you know, a lot in a lot of places it's more than the detective staff can handle. And, um, I know that the officers that I worked with back in the day, I mean, these guys really took it hard when they couldn't find people an answer. You have loved ones that are left behind and you have to just look at them and say, I don't know. And it was really, really hard on them. So having the ability for some of the retired officers that I've seen over the years to see some closure there because of the efforts of somebody who's making a podcast is really fantastic. Yeah, for sure. So when you're writing the Nichelle books, do you find you have to do a lot of research or is it all just kind of in your head? So where I get into research uh, with Nichelle is mostly on um, talking to friends who still work in the newspaper industry about the way things work now and having to remind myself to go back and have her like die for her phone during a press conference to put a particularly interesting quote on her, whatever it is that we're using now. (laughs) (laughs) Because, (laughs) Because there's, you know, that element of it was missing. Um, you know, for a long time in the early books, they still have a receptionist at the newspaper office who leaves phone messages on her desk instead of people texting her, which it does evolve to that later. But it's because when I first started writing it, I was drawing entirely on my own experience. I didn't think anybody was ever going to read it. And that's how it worked. When I worked at the newspaper, we had a person at the front desk who answered the phone and took messages. And we got these little pink notes that said this person called and, you know, um, occasionally, if somebody was looking for me and I was working on a story, I I have this weird ability to like zone everything around me out, which was great for writing when I was in newsrooms and then trying to write fiction when I had toddlers in my house. Um, Mm. And uh, you know, the receptionist would come and like put her hand between the screen and my face because I was working on something and someone wanted me on the phone or she'd lay one of the little pink notes on the keyboard and say, so-and-so is online for, for you. So bringing Michelle sort of into the 20 years later arena of reporting has been the, the vast majority of the research that I do for those books. The rest of it still comes pretty easily because it's the job that I used to do for so long. And, and they may not be exactly what it would be to be in a newsroom today versus 20 years ago, but I try to, I try to keep it close. Yeah. Do you find any similarities between or differences between like the, the way you approach your journalism stories and the way you approach your, your books? Yes. I feel like, um, the, the Nichelle books are, they always feel when I sit down to, to write about Nichelle, it always sort of feels like coming home. Like they're the easiest 
um, they, they, they tend to flow the best and the fastest when I'm writing about her. Um, the other ones I do have to stop and do a lot of research here and there. And I've, I've learned over the years that if I'm really into writing a scene, I can just put a question mark and then do a search and come back to it and do the research later so that I don't get out of the groove and fall down a research rabbit hole on something. But, you know, with the, what, the Faith McClellan series is more of a police procedural and I try really hard to make that right. And I'm, you know, I still have a lot of friends that work in law enforcement and forensics. Um, so I have a lot of sources that I can go to for those books, but it takes time mm-hmm. to text somebody or send them an email and wait for them to get back to you. Yeah. Um, so, and then the, these adventure books are, I mean, it's crazy. The stuff that I am looking up, like, Nobody would know what to make of my browser history. I go from looking at ways to dissolve a body in plastic, you know, <laughs> to um, what's the highest mountain in the Alps to, you know. So um, where's the oldest castle in Europe? What is this person doing? <laughs> That's awesome. So have you felt like you've been able to tell stories through Nichelle that maybe you wish you could have told during your days as a reporter that you didn't get to tell? Yes. I think that whatever her big thing that she's working on in every book, I mean, there's always for Nichelle, it always comes down to who she needs to help. That's her, you know, I had an editor early on that told me that, and it has proven to be true throughout the entire series. Nichelle's mission is always that what you have to keep the story focused on is always who she needs to help because that's her thing. That's what she does. Um, and so there's always a human story that has to be followed behind the, the hard news part of it. Um, and getting to really delve into that and like through fiction, be able to tell more of that backstory, more of, um, what really happened to the people who were behind this crime and, and the people who were impacted by it and how it affected their day to day is, um, you know, stuff that would never go in a newspaper article when you go, to interview a family like um, at the beginning of small town spin, when she goes to uh, talk to TJ Ogerson's parents and they're grieving the loss of their son. And that doesn't go into the newspaper story about how the kid died, but I can show that in fiction. Like this is how hard this is on people because I have sat with crying parents and have, you know, been the reporter on the other side of the table when somebody's child was missing, having the mom, begged me to help find her kid. And, and over the years, there have been several times when my children have said, can I go here? Can I do this? Nope. No, you cannot. Yeah. Because I don't ever want to be the mom sitting on the other side of the table from the reporter begging somebody to help me find my kid. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that I always struggled with as a reporter was that, um, like in situations like that, you know, the, there was always that, um, expectation that you had to be really aggressive and you had to get in there first and get the quote. Right. And, and sometimes the pressure of that, especially, I remember there was one story I covered where this young mother, um, she drowned her daughter in the bathtub and then she went to the garage and hung herself. And I was, um, you know, on the scene, the sister came, you know, and everyone was, I mean, just on this woman and like, I'm like, I know I got to be in there, but I, I just, I don't want to be a part of this feeding frenzy, right? Like, how did you handle that? Yeah, it's hard. And I think for me, it was keeping the victims at the forefront of what I was doing. The story wasn't, wasn't about 
that the lady hung herself in the garage. I wanted to write a story about her. Like the TV people were going to get that she hung herself in the garage out on TV at 10 o'clock way before anybody was going to read my story in the paper in the morning. So my story had to be more than that. Um, And that actually, I think... I mean, it helped me get a couple of interviews back in the day because there were there were one specific story where it was a woman who's, uh, I think he was 20, but her college age son had died. Um, and the family was not giving interviews. They were not talking to the media. I knew this, had been told this, had to call them anyway. I, you know, my stomach was all in knots because I hated bothering people. Yeah. Um, and had the misfortune to get them on the phone right after one of the TV reporters had yelled at them for saying no comment. And I knew exactly who it was. She said, you know, somebody just yelled at me for saying, and I was like, I know exactly who did that because you know, when you work in an environment like that. And I said, I'm going to pause here for a minute to apologize on behalf of my colleague, because that's horrible. and, And nobody should have spoken to you that way here's the thing. I want to do a story about your son and I can't write about him if you don't talk to me because I didn't know him. Yeah. And she sat there for so long. I thought she had hung up. And then she said, my husband will be, my husband will be back in a little while. He went to the funeral home. And, uh, if you can be here at six, we'll talk to you. Yeah. And I was up till, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning. And just, I mean, cause they talked to me for hours and they showed me photo albums and I sat with these people while they were grieving the loss of their kid. Yeah. And you know, it's heartbreaking to watch somebody go through that, especially when it's something that's terribly sudden Yep. like this one was. And for some reason that family, that story stuck with me for a long time. I kept her phone number in my Rolodex and every year on the anniversary of her son's death, I called her just to see how she was doing to you know, some to tell her that somebody remembered and wanted to know how she was. Um, but those moments were really hard. And for me, it was about thinking about it, not for myself or even for the newspaper that I was working for, but for this person whose life has ended suddenly and unexpectedly, what can I do for them? Yeah. That's going to tell people who they were. Um, because they're going to learn from radio and TV that, that they're dead. Right. So that's not my story. Yeah. It's definitely the compassion. And even I think when you're talking to other sources, like, you know, the local officials who don't like you or the cops who don't like you, right. It's, it's balancing that need for that story or that quote in the moment with the long, the bigger picture. Right. And I think that's one of the things I learned early on, like they have to trust you, whether or not they're going to like what you say, like you said before, is one thing, but they have to be able to trust you. And even if you get what you want for this one story, like it doesn't matter if down the road you can't get anything, right? So it's kind of making sure you're building that relationship, whatever kind of relationship it's going to be. And I think that was definitely one of the things that I took away that, you know, helps me in real life still. Yeah, absolutely. Because if people, I mean... Journalism is a field where all, literally all you have is your reputation. Yeah. And if you're covering a beat and the people that you have to talk to every day don't trust you, then you don't have a job. No, no. And you get scooped all the time. And I, I was very competitive. Yes. I was not getting freaking scooped. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> nope. 
So yeah, I mean, yeah. we talked about we talked about um, being able to write in crazy busy, you know, scanners blaring, loud newsrooms, and being able to focus. We talked about building relationships. You know, I think I, I always say my my time in journalism like better prepared me for life in general. Um, you learn how to ask better questions. You learn how to write succinctly. You learn how to hit deadlines. How did journalism help you not only in your writing but in life? I mean, all of that stuff is true. I think, I still think the most important thing that I learned was how to really listen when people are talking. You're not just waiting your turn to talk. You're really listening to what this person is saying. You're processing their words. You're writing down everything that they're saying. Um, it helps you understand people on a deeper level. And I think eventually it makes you better at reading people and figuring out when they're telling you the truth and when they're not. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a useful skill to have just, you know, in life in general. I mean, certainly if you have children, you know, it's, it's nice to be the mom who can look at them and go try again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this time tell me the truth because you're not. Um, so. Yeah. And I think that's what I love so much about Nichelle is that she takes all the best parts of, you know, how to be a good journalist and she's got them all and she tells good stories and she gets good scoops and she's a lot of fun and she wears really cool shoes. So. Oh, well, thank you. That is a very good description of her, I think. And I'm flattered by that. I'm really glad that so many people love her so much. She's, she's pretty great. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for the next book and I'm so happy you came on to talk with me about Nichelle and the series. I really love it. It's always been one of my favorites. So thank you for spending this time with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I sure did. I loved having this chat with Lindy. I always love talking to her, but I really love talking to her about journalism. Um, so I will put the link to the other podcast that she and I did together in the show notes. And I really encourage you to go out and read Nichelle. If you love shoes, you're going to love the series. If you love journalism, you're going to love the series. You're just going to love it. So let me know what you think of the books. Let me know what you thought of our conversation. Send me a message on Instagram or through my website, kateconti.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you're enjoying about the podcast. Any ideas for anything you want to hear about, any writers you want me to talk to. And if you are enjoying the podcast, reading, reviewing, and subscribing would be so amazing if you could do that. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye.